Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. This is London, but broadcasting to you throughout the world on SputnikNews.com. If you're living in the Washington, D.C. area, you can listen to us on FM. 105.5 is the frequency. Everywhere in the United States, from coast to coast, you can listen to us on AM. You can even watch the show on the RT UK News Facebook page. And I'll have more to say about Facebook later. You can also watch it, as thousands of you are, on my YouTube channel, George Galloway Official. If I had funereal music, I'd play it now because every decent person in the United States and indeed across the world is mourning the 29 slain and fretting and praying for the scores of wounded shot down in the 250th and 251st mass shooting in the United States in 2019. Do the math, that's more than one every single day. 40,000 people in the United States of America have been shot dead in the last 12 months. It will spark, of course, another round of fatuous and largely empty debate about what to do about guns in the United States of America. And nothing, of course, will be done. Mind you, that debate is a more complex one than most people outside of the United States give credit for. You see, the constitutional right to bear arms and to maintain a well-organized militia was given to the citizenry of the United States of America by the Founding Fathers for a revolutionary reason, to guard against the growth of a repressive government like the one the colonialists had just overthrown shortly before. It is, on the face of it, a good thing that the state does not have a monopoly of violence, especially a state like the United States of America. And here I must insert a parenthesis, because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings in a United States already saddened by the events of the last 24 hours. I have no hatred for America at all. As a matter of fact, My great-grandmother 
was probably, almost certainly, the only woman in the 19th century to emigrate from America, from New York City, to the town that I was born in, in Scotland, Dundee. And if you've seen New York City, and if you've seen Dundee, you'll wonder, as I do, if she just got on the wrong boat. I respect the enormous achievements, the can-do spirit, the genius that lies within the United States of America. So nothing I'm going to say is intended to hurt your feelings. But nonetheless, on a night like this, after a weekend like this, there are some things that simply need saying. And moreover, I hope, will find an echo in the United States of America itself. You know, if I was an American, and I looked at the kind of state you're in, with uh, Congress, the only millionaires or those beholden to them, have any prospect of sitting in, if I looked at the White House, and recognized the only billionaires or those beholden to billionaires could ever sit there. If I looked at the racist policing in the United States, where a black man selling contraband cigarettes will be choked to death on the streets, where black and Hispanic and other minority citizens are gunned down by the police almost on a daily basis. I'd think twice before agreeing to give up my weapons to such a state. A state governed by laws, yes, but laws themselves governed by a Supreme Court which is politically appointed by the aforementioned Billionaire President's Club and Millionaire Congress Club. And that court can change laws, twist laws, manufacture interpretations of laws that might well give me that repressive government that the founding fathers of the United States warned and guarded against by granting the citizenry the right to bear arms. If I was an American today, you might have to take my weapon from my cold, dead hand also. But there are so many other questions that relate to this. How come so many mentally unhinged, that's what they are if they're white, people can get their hands on powerful assault rifles? expanded ammunition systems. The killer in Dayton, Ohio, had hundreds and hundreds of rounds with him. He was wearing body armor. How can these mentally unhinged people get powerful, automatic assault weaponry quite so easily? How can the dangerously deluded and a mere glance at their social media profiles shows the 
racist and other delusional sicknesses present in so many of those who carry out this mass murder most foul. How can they get their hands on such powerful automatic assault weaponry? How come people can get into public places so easily carrying these weapons? The United States is militarizing the heavens themselves. Star Wars, anti-ballistic missile systems, a trillion dollar plus Pentagon budget, military bases all over the world, fighting wars by proxy or directly or threatening wars, sending their armed forces to the Persian Gulf. Wouldn't some of that money be better spent on simple turnstiles outside public places that can detect hardware being brought in to those public places? The United States is a place where every cop is armed, where virtually every security guard is armed. How come so many of these mass killers find themselves with a clear line of fire? And why do these outrages get so quickly forgotten? I have no recollection of the last time I read anything about an even bigger atrocity in Las Vegas. Whatever happened to that? Who was that? Who did that? And why did they do it? And how were they able to do it? Let me give you just one practical suggestion and I await your own. Instead of allowing Walmart to sell weapons to people who then turn those weapons on Walmart's own customers, why doesn't the state take at least a monopoly on the sale and registration and vetting of weapons and the people who hold them? Why don't you have to go down to the courtroom or the FBI office and get your weapon, subject yourself to proper checks, proper vetting processes before you can get yourself a weapon. You can get yourself a weapon in the United States far, far easier than you can get yourself a motor car. That surely cannot be right. Much of the debate will again center on Donald Trump, but this problem is much older than three years old. The achingly liberal Barack Obama had quite a few mass shootings on his watch too. And it was in the Kennedy-Johnson era of the 1960s, the great society years, that the Kennedys themselves, as well as Dr. King and many others, were shot down in America. This is not 
primarily an issue of the Donald Trump era. But of one thing I'm in no doubt. Donald Trump rampaging across America in this electoral cycle like a drunken sailor driving in wedges, carefully calculated ones, everywhere he goes, is exacerbating pre-existing tensions in America to an extraordinary degree. Isolating and attacking important women of color, hyping up border issues, trying to inculcate amongst his electoral base the feeling that America is under invasion is precisely the mentality which the 21-year-old mass killer in El Paso posted online just 22 minutes before he took his assault rifle into Walmart and massacred the innocents, presumably because they looked as if they were Mexicans. All of this ugly Mussolini, Nuremberg rhetoric by Trump is exacerbating deep and pre-existing divisions in the United States. But I've got to tell you, and this is where I don't want to hurt you, a country built upon a hundred million corpses of the Native American people, a country built on more than two centuries of slavery of black African people, followed by apartheid America, Jim Crow, segregation, lynchings, all the discriminatory practices which continue until this very day, even in the compilation of the electoral roll. Such a country was never going to turn out nice. I don't mean to say that the United States is marked by original sin, but the original sins compounded by, and here you may think I digress. If your president, your Congress, the last president, the one before him, the one before him, all the ones before them, go around the world offering people devastating violence, issuing forth devastating violence, murdering millions of people in Indochina, in Iraq, in Afghanistan, millions and millions of people have been killed by American weapons. Not just the 40,000 in your own country that fell this year. If you talk the lingua franca of violence, if you glorify your big weapons, don't you think, to coin a phrase, you'll get blowback at home? That the worship of weaponry the worship 
of death and destruction abroad will not come back to haunt you at home? Well, it has, and it does, and it will. That's my take on the issues of Dayton, Ohio, with which I have familial connections, where we have a regular correspondent from, and where my dear friend Lamise Deek was born, and her family still live there, and I await news that they are safe, and I pray for all those who suffered as a result of the events in Ohio and in Texas. But you know, when Donald Trump issued that tweet this morning, or actually it was quite late in the day, God bless the people of El Paso, God bless the people of Dayton. He might as well save that in drafts and just change the names for the next one. We'll also be talking about the cockamamie attempt by the government in the Netherlands, that achingly liberal society from which my own wife comes. I'm glad she's not watching tonight. She's in transit. Amsterdam is a place where naked women stand in the windows for the tourists to look at and pick which prostitute they legally avail themselves of. We're on every street, openly legal drugs are on sale. That country, that country decided to tell Muslim women what clothes they had to wear. They could stand naked in a window if they liked, but if they wanted to cover themselves because their culture made them feel that way, they were to be fined hundreds of euros. At least that was the idea. But it's all come crashing down already because the bus conductors refused to implement it. The train crews refused to implement it. The police refused to prioritize it. And it's already breaking down in ridicule. And we'll be talking also about the Democratic Party debates this week, which, in my opinion, were extremely bad for the two favored establishment candidates, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and good weeks for Tulsi Gabbard and Bernie Sanders. We'll be talking about the by-election that took place in rural Wales and which saw the British government's majority fall to just one, with the police poised to swoop on that one and charge with a variety of sexual offences. And then there was none. Well, tensions are rising between Pakistan and India over Kashmir. Maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that uh, later in the show. 
because there's an omnipresent danger of war between India and Pakistan, so long as the Kashmir issue is not uh, sorted out. Mr. Khan, who may originally be Pakistani, asks me to point out that if you're watching the show on Facebook, please, right now, share it with your friends so that we can spread the word of this open university far and wide. Now, Liesl Gernholtz is executive director of the Women's Rights Division at Human Rights Watch, and she's here to talk to us about what the ban in the Netherlands means. Lisa, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, I don't want to uh, in any way be crude, but given that the Netherlands and Amsterdam is a place where women can stand naked in a window and be picked uh, as a prostitute, what right does the uh, government of the Netherlands have to tell Muslim women what they should be wearing? Um, good evening, George, and thank you for inviting me. Um, Human Rights Watch thinks that governments have no business telling any woman, whether they're Muslim or Catholic or have no religion at all, what they should be wearing. Um, we feel that it's really clear in international human rights law and in those norms and standards that ultimately they protect the right of people to be able to choose what they want to wear. And in particular, they should be able to manifest their religious belief. So we have criticized these bans. Um, I think the first report we did was around 2008 when we criticized a restriction that Germany imposed upon teachers wearing headscarves. So I think we're in agreement that state should not be regulating women's dress for whatever reason. Now, uh, I, I mentioned the, uh, the first point because most people watching and listening to this show will have the idea uh, that the Netherlands, my own wife comes from there, is uh, just about the most liberal space anywhere. So what possessed the government of the Netherlands to introduce this ban? Well, they're justifying it as being um, something that would promote public safety. So the ban on, on face coverings it purports to include ski masks or full face helmets. But in essence, I think what it is trying to do is really um, undermine the ability often of people to display, particularly women, to display their religions, because obviously the face covering is particularly associated with Islam. So, um, you know, the way that it has been framed and the way that the government has been promoting it has been that it's a public safety measure. But I think the fact that both um, transport officials and police in the Netherlands have raised concerns about um, implementing this ban, have indicated that they would not prioritize it. So, for example, transport officials have said that they won't require women who are covering their face to leave transport, I think indicates the way that the general public is responding to the ban. It's taking a sledgehammer to a nut in any case, isn't it? Uh, there, there, there are reportedly only 100 women in all of the Netherlands who actually wear a niqab uh, all the time. And, and, and less, fewer than 400 who wear it occasionally. So for 100 all the time and 400 some of the time, to change a country's laws and 
bring all this bad publicity to the country. It seems uh, if it was a, a concession, as I understand it may have been, uh, to Geert Wilders and his far-right uh, political uh, forces, it's a totally disproportionate act. And also, you know, it is a very explicit form of discrimination on the grounds of faith because this ban will disproportionately affect um, Muslim women. So it will not affect Christian women who choose to display crosses. It will not um, affect Jewish men who wear um, yamulkas. So in addition to obviously having a very serious impact on those women who do choose to cover their face. It's also um, a form of religious discrimination, which I think is very problematic in a context of documented rising Islamophobia in Europe. Has this been tested in, in court yet at all, Liesl? Um, it, it hasn't been tested in, in the Netherlands because it's obviously a very recent ban. I'm not aware of um, other places where it has been tested. I think what we have seen, as you're now seeing in the Netherlands, is very serious challenges around um, implementation. But this uh, originated, you mentioned Germany, but France had the, 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 the almost comic, it wasn't so tragic, it would be funny, uh, where on a beach in the south of France, you would not be arrested for taking your clothes off, but a Muslim woman might be, and one was, I saw her on video, arrested for wearing too many clothes at the beach. I mean, I think it is obviously when you start looking at these bans or the way that these bans are disproportionately affecting Muslim women. I mean, I think it's clear that they are being shaped by Islamophobia, that, you know, they're not, because certainly governments have um, the ability and the power to regulate um, the way that people comport themselves in public if it has an impact on public security. But they really are required to do that in a way that limits. Um, that limits the restrictions they have on um, people's personal freedoms. They are required to provide detailed justifications, including why they're needed now, why they were not required in the recent past, why they have only been applied against Muslim women, and so on. So, you know, I think that there may be some legitimate grounds for regulating of religious symbols and dress. Um, you have to do that in a way that are proportionate and that don't amount to unlawful discrimination against particular groups. And I think certainly the German laws were criticized heavily and not all German states, I think, for that reason. You know, several states did consider um, introducing those restrictions, but ultimately rejected them because they thought that they were um, discriminatory. Now, um, would it be fair to say, given the attitude of the police and transport officials that you cited, that this law has broken down, more or less, uh, within a few days of its introduction? I mean, The Guardian reported that within hours of the ban coming into effect, both the police and transport officials were saying that they were not going to prioritize this, um, with the police saying that they were not going to respond, they were not going to, you know, where complaints were made, they were going to be unable to respond within the required half an hour. So I think it was pretty clear right from the get-go that this was going to be a law that was A, going to be very difficult to implement, and B, that there was no appetite on the part of the police and the transport officials 
officials to actually do so. So it, at this point, seems to be a pretty meaningless gesture. Liesl Gernholtz, Executive Director of the Women's Rights Division at Human Rights Watch. I'm grateful for your time for helping us with this issue this evening. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. On Twitter, uh, Bill says this show goes from strength to strength. Also enjoy how it's current affairs, history, philosophy and more. Thanks for opening the University of the Airwaves. Uh, after the summer holidays, we've got one or two nice little university-style developments. We'll tell you about those over the next uh, few weeks. Filza says, George, you are right. The gun crime is not an issue of Trump's era only. But tell me, what's the reason behind no president of the United States ever stepping forward to end the gun culture? Well, Filza, it's partly for the reason I gave in my introduction. It would be just about the most controversial thing that the American political class could do to try and disarm uh, the uh, United States of America. For every 100 people in the US, there are 88.8 guns. That's almost one gun per person in the United States of America. The practical, pragmatic job of disarming America would be a totally gigantic uh, undertaking beyond the means, the ability of the United States. So it's a very, very hot potato indeed. And because there are so many gun owners, because there are so many people who insist on their right under the Constitution to bear arms, the weapons lobby, the National Rifle Association, or NRA, is enormously powerful in the Congress. It has lots of money that it judiciously spreads around candidates, campaigns, budgets, to make sure they've got plenty of friends in the Congress, as all lobbies do. Now, we've got a call from Glasgow. Is it John? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, John. Um, hello. Yes, hello. Hi. Hi, John. Hi. Hello? Yeah, hello. go ahead. You're on the air. Yes, George. Um, <clears throat> I spoke to your colleague a second ago, and I wanted to say that uh, about the Dutch um, uh, talking about 
The Burka, the Burka I... ban. Yes, the Burka ban. Yes, yeah. thanks, George. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, what I said to your colleague was that as a student of history, I note that the Dutch in the Second World War folded after five days and then yes. sent 130,000 Jews to their death. Indeed. Then in, 19, in the 1990s, our Dutch peacekeeping force uh, allowed the... In Srebrenica massacre. Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, they folded, claiming, well, we only, we only have light weapons against, uh, you know, yeah. whatever the Serbs had, yeah. but they had then, they, then they happily sent 8,000 Muslims to their death. Yeah. And... Um, well, I don't know about happily, but they certainly allowed it to happen without firing a shot. Yes, yes. And, and uh, uh, as, 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 Mr, as Mr. Churchill said, if they could only have held out against Hitler for four more days, uh, Hitler's forces went through the Netherlands faster than an Uber, and that was in yes. 1940. If, if they could have held yes. on for four more days, a lot of our people had died, a lot of Maybe. our people had died in, uh, in the Dunkirk uh, siege. Yes. Uh, would still still have been alive. Yes, possibly. Yeah, I think it was after the bombing of Rotterdam or something like that. But, yeah. Um, there was a Dutch resistance, though. It's worth making that point, John. There were, there were dockers and trade unionists and leftists, communists, who did fight, particularly around Rotterdam. Rotterdam also has a Muslim mayor, by the way. Yeah, is that possibly now? But I uh, know, um, now I'm I, talking about. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, I keep yeah, interrupting but, you. Go ahead. No, no, not at all. all. All I was going to say about the 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 further point to the Burkina, you're exactly right. Uh, I was um, lucky enough to be in the British British match in Navy after leaving school, and um, uh, <clears throat> Rotterdam, uh, Hamburg. Were, were a couple of ports of call, and uh, yeah, women were on sale, totally naked, and so on. So yeah. And well, I've seen them. I, 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 my wife comes from Amsterdam, and I have frequently yeah. taken boat trips at night, uh, which is a very beautiful trip. Amsterdam is a very beautiful city. My wife is a yeah. very beautiful woman. I mean no <laughs> harm to the people of the Netherlands, but. You know, when you round a corner on your boat, your barge, and look up, and there are literally naked women in yeah. big shop front windows with men yeah. leering at them and picking which one they're going to pay to have sex with while smoking legal drugs, they've got a bit of a cheek telling Muslim women what to do, don't you think? Absolutely. Yes, I do. I believe that. As a husband to a beautiful wife and a father of one daughter and four sons, By the grace of I God. wouldn't want my daughter being anywhere near that, and I wouldn't, my, wouldn't want my son being anywhere near that. God bless you, John. Wonderful call. Thank you very much indeed for that call. Thanks, Mohammed George. is on the line from Maidenhead. Go ahead, Mohammed. Yes, good evening, George. How are you? By the grace of God, I'm good. Thank you for the call. Go ahead. 
Thank you for the, thank you for accepting my call, George. Yeah, just to pick up issue, it's very disturbing. It's just like you say, George. You know, women are allowed to be promiscuous and to be naked on on you know window screens. But I think that what's happening is there's a sense of intimidation and jealousy towards people that want to cover up. I think that there's a mentality of if I'm not that way, then you can't be that way either. That stems from jealousy, and it doesn't define. By the way, if you dress up in a niqab or a hijab. It doesn't necessarily mean you're a good person. No. It's a good step. Yeah. No, it's a, a very good point. None, none of the Muslim women I have known uh, wore a, a niqab, and, and very few of them wore a hijab. So, uh, and they were good women. So it doesn't make you a good woman because you wear a little piece of cloth uh, over the bottom half of your face. And indeed, in the Netherlands, only 100 women do so. Imagine, they introduce a new law for 100 women. And all over the world, we're talking about it. Yes, precisely, George. Yeah, well, you know, just for, for 100. But the thing is, it, it does create, when you wear a hijab or, um, you know, some women want to wear a niqab, it can create a barrier from the devil. It can create that that barrier. It's a, good, it's a good thing to do, but like you said, it doesn't necessarily mean that person is a good person. There are many people... I don't know, um, about, I don't you. I don't know about you, Mohammed, but I reckon the devil can get past a piece of cloth. I completely agree, yes, and that, that was what I was trying to say, that it doesn't mean you're a good person, but it's still a good step to try and take it. It shows that there is an intention there to try... Well, to you know, whether it's good or whether it isn't good whether it's a step this way or that way. It's kind of not my business. I'm old enough, Mohammed, to remember when the entire British media were up in arms in the 1960s about the length of women's skirts in Britain. It was regarded as shocking, it should be banned, you shouldn't be allowed to be a teacher wearing a miniskirt and so on. I mean, men have got to get off the idea that they have any right to tell women what they should be wearing. Mohammed, lovely to hear from you again. I need to take a break. Not for some capitalist messages, just a break. Uh, Mo Munlin says, in the US you're allowed to own a weapon, but if the police suspect you have a weapon, they have the right to kill you without warning. And John Hit Wonder, that's a great name. A man that relinquishes freedoms for security will have neither. Robin James says the UK is coming close to matching the USA in violence with knife crimes and much more. Sadly, I'm afraid, Robin, we've got quite a way to go before you could say that. And Noshad says Trump, sort your home front out. So sad with homegrown mass killers in the USA. May God bless the loves lives that have been lost. And Dale McElwain on Facebook, uh, I think, or on Twitter, uh, or sorry, on YouTube, says, how funny is that? A woman in Amsterdam can be buck naked at a window, but have a problem with Muslim women covering their hair. Well, the ban is actually for the covering of the face. But you're right, Dale. In reality, it's fueled by anti-Muslim feeling that wouldn't stop just at banning the little piece of cloth that 100 women wear. They really mean the, uh, the, uh, the hijab, they really mean the so-called burqa. Uh, 
That's what they're really talking about. NSPK77 says, just more cowardice vis-a-vis -vis the extreme right in Holland. And Patrick McCarthy says, if I go to Muslim countries, I have to obey their laws. Indeed, but we're arguing about which laws we should have. Isn't that the point, Patrick? And in any case, is that how you're going to judge the Netherlands? By the standards of Saudi Arabia, the land of the bone saw? Is that the limit of your cultural horizons, Patrick? Patrick, why don't you get, give me a call? 02077982255, because I want to take you on, because I infer something from your message. Brian Paul Spencer says, wear what you want, but not religious. Authoritarian liberals love forcing their enlightened opinions on people. What a joke. You're right, Brian. Uh, liberals are the most authoritarian uh, of them all. Uh, Jared's on the line in Pennsylvania. Jared, welcome. Uh, hello. Yeah, you're becoming a legend. Horrible circumstances. You're a legend indeed. You're <laughs> becoming a legend on this show. Go ahead. Yes, I hope to become a frequent caller. Excellent. But uh, I um, want to talk about this um, mass shootings in El Paso and Dayton, and our hearts go out to the uh, people of both of those cities. Um, on the issue of uh, guns, I take this issue from a socialist um, perspective. I am a socialist, and I see in America social alienation. We don't have a social safety net that takes care of people. We, um, uh, we don't have the health care for people such as um, veterans who come back from these wars um, and they're just, they're killing themselves, they're overdosing. Um, you have um, uh, this, this, the rise of hate groups because of the jobs that have been shipped overseas and you just have all these cities that have been hollowed out like in uh, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, these Rust Belt cities that used to have union workers, good jobs. Like, I mean, I live uh, five minutes away from Coatesville. It used to be called uh, the uh, Philadelphia, the Pittsburgh of the East. And there used to be huge steel mills and uh, factories and everything else there. And they're all shut down now because of things like NAFTA, uh, GATT, uh, 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 permanent normal trade relations with China, uh, uh, Central American trade deals, and, and then Obama was pushing TPP, which was going to ship even more jobs overseas and allow through these corporate conglomerates to literally rule over the United States without any um, legal framework at all. And, and now the Democratic Party is expecting us to uh, suck up and vote for Joe Biden, who supported all this. Indeed, he, he, was, he was one of the authors uh, of it. Look, I, look I, I agree, concur, and applaud 
every word of the elegy for a lost America, lost blue collar, lost industrial America. I agree with every word of that. But Jared, this 21-year-old in El Paso was not mentally ill. That's a cop-out. Uh, he drove nine hours and then 20 minutes uh, before he started murdering, he put out a highly cogent uh, right-wing uh, political manifesto. Uh, his comments uh, that were widely quoted, uh, that he put on social media, apart from the manifesto, uh, all showed malice aforethought. They all showed a clear intention with a political purpose, a fascistic political purpose of mass killing of the other, ma mass killing of minorities. And in the cause of the worst of white supremacist nationalism. So notwithstanding any of the points that you made, and I accept them all, there is a problem about the accessibility to weapons by people with a proven track record online of unhinged right-wing fanatic ideas, isn't there? Um, yes, I agree. Um, we, we definitely need to have a background check system that is very uh, stringent, that goes through these um, uh, very hate-filled and uh, uh, racist and crazy uh, people who are going around and doing these, 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 these horrific massacres. And we also need to get rid of the for-profit uh, gun uh, manufacturers, such as, um, you know, like Walmart that sells these uh, uh, guns, uh, automatic weapons, uh, uh, for, for profit. It has nothing to do with, you know, protecting people or anything like that. We, we should have a system like Switzerland where you have a, um, a public um, uh, uh, arsenal where uh, everybody can register in the local community, and if you need to uh, ha grab one of the guns, you can go in and uh, um, uh, just, you know, show them your license and everything else, mm. and then you can well, uh, look, grab uh, the gun. We'll have, to, we'll have to continue this another time. I'll just make the point that wouldn't be much good if an armed intruder was climbing through your front window. Uh, Adil uh, is on the line. Uh, I'm not sure from where. Uh, from Oregon, uh, hi, also hi, in the United States. Adil, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you so much, George. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to talk re uh, really briefly about the burqa ban in Holland. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that I'm a little bit divided on myself personally. Mm -hmm. uh, so I do come from a Muslim background, but I'm, I consider myself I'm a non-Muslim. I'm secular, agnostic. But I do feel that there are some... Bigger, there are some larger issues and concerns that even amongst the you know, members of the Muslim community have not been addressed properly. And I think that these are carrying over uh, to host countries where there are migrants, uh, you know, Muslim migrants. So, you know, I think that the issue of, for example, uh, integration and even espousing some form of um, uh, liberal values uh, that that sort of break down uh, barriers in 
gender, gender segregation. Uh, these kinds of issues are real. Uh, and I myself, having, you know, you know, having been, you know, I'm from originally from Sudan, and having seen, uh, you know, I, I grew up in a, in, a, in a fairly secular household, and, you know, uh, where my, my parents had the fortune of kind of getting a little bit of uh, the British education system and having to be a little bit more enlightened. But then having seen the progressive deterioration of the education system and the rise of more uh, um, conservative values that have really just taken us backwards, I have, I have a, lot, a very critical view of, of, of the lack of criticism in the liberal world, in the Western world, towards some of these practices. Now, I myself, I have to say, I'm not anti-Muslim. I'm not anti-freedom of religion. I do believe women have the right to uh, you know, wear what they want. But at the same time, I do feel like when, the, the, the burqa specifically, the niqab, it is a dis distorted... Uh, you know, expression of mm. the faith. Okay, uh, and it uh, just because of the hour, Adel, I'll need to cut you a little bit short if I'm going to be able to uh, respond to it. Forgive me, please, for that. Sure. Now, uh, the first point to make is that most Muslims in the Netherlands and in Britain, for that matter, are not migrants. Uh, they are the children, in many cases the grandchildren, in some cases the great-grandchildren of migrants. So they're not migrants. They're as British as I am. They're as Dutch uh, as anybody else in the Netherlands is. Secondly, if you'll forgive me, it's not your business, now that you're not in the Muslim community, to tell the Muslim community what they should be doing. Thirdly, how liberal would you like them to be, Adel? I mean, how liberal have you got to be in order to uh, fit into your secular uh, worldview? Uh, have you got to like the idea of naked women in glass windows in the streets of Amsterdam in the red light area? Have you got to like the uh, free, freely available and legal drugs? Uh, or are you allowed to uh, have a view on these things, have a view on what it's right to wear, uh, untrammeled by the views of outsiders. And you're an outsider. You're not in the Muslim community. You expressly made that point. So it's not really your business what Muslim women wear. Last word to you, Adil. Well, okay, I, I, do, I disagree on a number of levels. First of all, um, you know, integration is a multi-generational concept. It's not a one generation or plus two generation. It's really much deeper than that, in my opinion. Uh, second of all, uh, I'm expressing my opinion as a citizen, as a, as a citizen of the West, of a Western country. Uh, you're right. I'm not, you know, probably, you know, uh, considered part of the Muslim community formally, but still, I'm, I'm expressing myself as a member of the community, the larger community, and I have that. I have the privilege mm. of being able to cross those two, uh, you know, borders. So. Um, you know, I, I, I don't like the fact that, you know, women are allowed to, you know, prostitute themselves and just be naked. That's something I'm against also. You know, and I feel like we are we're we're living in an era where it might. That's my personal opinion. But I think that, you know, when it comes to, uh, you know, liberalism, conservative, it's a relative concept. The different societies are the center of, of different societies 
are different places. I myself personally, I'm, I consider myself a, maybe an old-fashioned centrist. I don't think women should be naked. I don't think they should prostitute themselves. But I also, I'm, I'm on the other extreme. I think the niqab and the burqa are extreme forms of expression that are unnecessary in society. And well, they, yeah, they, but they, but they, if the people that are wearing them think they are necessary, and that's therefore their business. Uh, why, why can't we have uh, the right to be conservative and the right to be liberal? Why can't they just coexist? Why does the liberal feel the need to legislate against the conservative? That's my point, well, okay. Adol. No, I, I totally agree with you, but there are, there are real um, issues even within the Muslim community. For example, in France, you have certain neighborhoods where this, 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 this culture manifests in patriarchy that even prevents women from going to cafes. Muslim women from going to cafes, taking their baby strolls, and you know it, they don't feel welcomed even there because it's a Muslim uh, men majority context. So it, this is the kind of creep mm. that I feel. You know, it's, I'm, I'm not. I'm saying I'm, I'm uh, hard laws and expressions of laws. I am. I think that's a very difficult uh, thing to uh, you know implement. It's anti-liberal. It's anti-democratic. However, the talking point, the, the issues are still there. And, and I think we cannot ignore those realities on both sides. You know, we have to be uh, reasonable about them. Well, it's been a pleasure disagreeing with you, Adol. Don't be a stranger. Call up anytime you like. Thanks very much indeed. The first hour has flown by. The good news is there are two more hours to come. This is the mother of all talk shows. Now, uh, let's uh, go to the first guest uh, from the United States on the issue of guns and gun control. Mr. Patrick, are you there? Do I have Mr. Patrick? Thanks for having me. Thank you. Very kind of you. I'm sorry we don't have you in vision and uh, only in sound, but we'll do the best we can. It is radio primarily after all. Uh, first of all, my condolences, the condolences of all right-thinking people throughout the world to all the people of America who have just had this atrocious uh, 24 hours or so, one of the worst weekends ever for mass shootings in the United States, but uh, the 250th of the year. That's more than there have been days in the year so far. Sounds like you've got a really big problem there. Yes, uh, unfortunately, uh, this is an epidemic uh, that is not being addressed by our leaders, and it's continuing to get larger and more deadly and more violent and, and more hateful. Um, we have these high-profile mass shootings, like you mentioned, uh, but also we're a country that experiences 100 gun deaths a day, uh, uh, over 40,000 or nearly 40,000 40,000 40, in the last year, yeah. And uh, it is an epidemic that is a, a multifaceted uh, problem to solve, and it requires m several different policy proposals. Uh, and, and right now in Washington and also in states across the country, it's not being addressed, and we're seeing Americans die because of that. Well, uh, let's uh, leave the big politics for a minute and look at the small uh, politics. Walmart sells guns, and this man walked into Walmart and mowed people down with a gun. Why are Walmart and places like it allowed to sell weapons? Can't the state take at least a monopoly 
on the selling and registering and vetting and, uh, and in uh, every way possible ensuring that guns are not being purchased by people who are either unhinged or are possessed by a satanic hatred of other groups within their society. Why, why can't the, the local courthouse uh, sell the guns and register them? Why can't the mayor uh, do so? Why is it left to private enterprise? Well, I mean, the gun industry and the, uh, the gun manufacturers in this country have kind of normalized this idea of guns everywhere. I mean, we shouldn't look at a Walmart or a, any type of store and say, oh, that's where I can go buy a, uh, a, a rifle uh, to kill human beings. Uh, it is a, it, it, we would hope that Walmart would follow the lead of Dick's Sporting Goods and other stores uh, that stopped selling uh, weapons following the tragedy at Parkland last year. Uh, it's, a, uh, it's something that Walmart needs to address, and they, have a, and they are contributing to this issue. We know that uh, uh, ammunition used in Columbine 20 years ago was purchased at Kmart, and this is still happening. And it is going to continue to happen until we have a real political and cultural shift in this country. Uh, and people recognize the simple idea that guns don't make you safer and that uh, their presence is killing uh, our children and our, our fellow citizens. Now, uh, the, the mayor of Dayton is speaking right now uh, live. Uh, what can you tell us about the second issue? Most of us are uh, much more familiar with what happened at El Paso uh, than we are what happened in Dayton. Can you give us any uh, further enlightenment on what that was about? Well, I think we're still learning a lot of the details, but from what I understand, a, a gentleman, a white male, which is what it typically tends to be, uh, was heavily armed with body armor uh, and uh, mowed down a group of people attempting to get into a nightclub. Uh, I also heard he tried to get into the nightclub before it was uh, stopped. Uh, but he killed nine people and injured 26 uh, in less than a minute before he was engaged with police. And that, that tells you where we are with this, this, this weapon being available to people who... Uh, who uh, just have hate, that are driven by hate, uh, be able to kill so many people in a short amount of period of time, and that's a issue that we really need our leaders to address. Uh, will they address it? I certainly hope so. We have called, our organization has called on for an assault weapons ban to be passed uh, starting in the House, which even the House of Representatives has not passed one, uh, but we need action in the Senate. We, there have been Gun violence prevention bills passed in the House and over to the Senate, and Mitch McConnell and John Cornyn and all these senators are not taking those bills up, and Americans are dying because of it. And they're doing so, uh, or rather not doing so, why? Uh, because they'd lose votes, uh, or because they'd lose campaign contributions, or what? I think they're afraid they would get votes. They don't want to make their members going into an election year vote on uh, this bill because these policies are overwhelmingly popular. So Mitch McConnell sits on them and does not bring them up for a vote. Uh, so he, his members don't have to take a stance on these issues. Uh, this is a real epidemic. It deserves more than politics. It deserves real change uh, starting at our federal level. An assault weapons ban is something that needs to be addressed. Background checks need to be addressed. And extreme risk laws to remove guns from dangerous people need to be addressed. And they are not being done in the U.S. Senate, which is where these are supposed to be handled. So, uh, it is a 
a deep ingrained uh, loyalty to the NRA and the gun lobby that they are concerned about. Uh, but these are popular bills, and they should be brought up for a vote. Now, uh, a lot of uh, criticism, at uh, least viewed from here, is headed uh, in the way of President Trump because of the inflammatory, incendiary, racially charged uh, siege mentality that he has been pumping into the political campaigning atmosphere uh, over the last period. Uh, and uh, all of that may very well be true, indeed is true. Uh, but this long predates uh, President Trump, doesn't it? Yeah, what, what we've seen is this, there's been a long, my, my, our executive director wrote a book on uh, dangerous anti-government insurrectionists and taking up arms against the government uh, and extremist views within the pro-gun movement that have, has been there for a long time. And they have armed up, they, they, there was a lot of guns purchased during the Obama administration, but now Trump has added this extra layer of hatred and rhetoric uh, and this, this toxic culture in our politics uh, that is now being fed to people who are heavily armed and they're taking up action based on uh, the message that is being received from the Oval Office and the President's Twitter feed. Uh, it is incredibly dangerous, and I, I'm, I'm worried we haven't even seen the worst of it, uh, because it seems like this powder keg uh, is going to uh, be catastrophic uh, for Americans. What do you say to the uh, critics of your position that uh, if all the bad guys have got guns, it's uh, absolutely foolhardy to uh, expect the good guys not to have them? Uh, if I was living in the United States, I would certainly have a gun, and if an armed intruder came through my window in the middle of the night, I would use it. Uh, given the 88.8 uh, .8 guns per 100 people in the United States, it's a bit of a forlorn hope that you're going to disarm the country, isn't it? Well, we're not trying to disarm the country. We're trying to identify the people who are going to do harm with these weapons and disarm them, whether they have a history of domestic violence whether they have been making their plans clear on social media postings or talking to people about it. Yeah. Uh, we need tools in place to uh, allow law enforcement to remove these guns. And hopefully, if they need to uh, receive some sort of uh, help, allow them to get that help that they need. Um, but what, what, uh, we know we're an evidence-based organization. We know that a gun in the household makes you less safe and makes your family less safe. There's 27 studies and citations that back up that guns make you less safe. Uh, you have a right to have a gun in your home, but uh, I exercise my right, and others do, by not having a gun because it is, that is what protects me and my family, is not having the presence of the, uh, that gun in my home. Uh, so it is a, uh, like you said, there is a gun for every man, woman, and child in America. Uh, if guns made us safer, we'd be the safest country on earth. It's a very good uh, answer, I must say. How do people follow the work of your organization, sir? Uh, you can visit us at csgv.org. That's Coalition Stop Gun Violence, CSGV. Uh, you can also follow us at CSGV uh, on Twitter and Coalition to Stop Gun Violence on Facebook and Instagram. Well, I wish you all the best and my condolences again to the great people of America. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. What do you uh, think about that? 02077 982 
That's the number to call you, call us, we'll call you back. Adab Dust says religion should help people to behave decently and create a healthy inner spiritual feeling rather than paying attention to the clothing and appearances. And John McGowan says, spot on George, third and second generation of migrants are as British as me or you. And Mark Roberts says, the left and right negative positive liberty control system is out of date with society. P.S. Mark says most of our laws were written hundreds of years ago. Let's hear from Tony in Liverpool on the mass shooting. Tony, welcome. Good evening, George. How are you? Well, my friend. By the grace of God, I'm good. Thank you. Go ahead. Well, I was saying to your producer, George, um, there's, there's a certain organization which you know sits in the uh, United States and sits in New York, and it, it's known as the United Nations. And yet, they're, they're bizarrely, they're very silent and very reticent to actually criticize 40,000 gun deaths per year in the United States. Now, I would have thought they would have had first-hand knowledge of what's going on there. And can I suggest that if that was to happen in any Western European country, um, they would certainly have a lot more to say on the matter than they have in, you know, in the United States. Mm. And that's clearly down to the lobbyists there, the NRA. They've got their hooks certainly into the Republican Party, but also um, they've got the hooks in a certain section of the um, Democrat Party as well. Yeah, I mean, uh, for yeah. sure. Uh, and as the coalition, uh, Mr. Patrick, uh, just said, they're mm. not trying to disarm America. Uh, that would be, I think, a forlorn hope. Uh, it's been armed since the day and hour that it came into being. And it's constitutionally guaranteed the people the right to bear arms. It's about trying to police uh, and they just—they're just not spending enough money, putting enough energy. Into, I mean, if you gave me a budget, I could go through the Twitter feed and Facebook ravings of every potential right-wing gun nut in America, expressing hatred of black people and Hispanic people, or Jews uh, or Muslims, uh, and I'd send the feds down to their door and quickly ascertain. Uh, that you probably have to give me your gun, son, because with these kind of views expressed in this kind of language, I can't be sure that you're not going to use that weapon. But That's that right. would take a lot of resources, and they just don't put those resources in, not least because they're putting them in to the Pentagon's trillion-dollar-plus budget, Tony. Absolutely, George, absolutely. The, the politicians are bought and paid for, and we know who's buying them, the NRA and people like that. But you've, you've got a situation where you've got around about 400,000 legal guns and another two to 300,000 illegal guns. So we're talking around about two guns per person in the, in the United States. I mean, Yeah, per, per it, adult, it, it, yeah. But yeah, it's, it, it's almost one for every man, woman and child. Yeah, it's 88.8 it, 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 per hundred people. It's suboptimal, George. I think it's got to the point now where even if you wanted to get rid of the guns, it's impossible to do that. You'd actually have to buy the guns back. Even if people wanted to, you know, hand the guns back, yeah. you'd have to buy it. It's, well, it's, it's uh, beyond uh, comprehension. Yeah, Mr. Patrick uh, made the point that he doesn't have a gun because he thinks that it makes his family safer, uh, that uh, he doesn't. But I've got to be perfectly honest with you, Tony. I wouldn't look at it that way. 
If I was living in the United States and I knew that virtually every person out there had a gun uh, and crime was at the levels that it is, leave aside any political violence, uh, I think I'd keep my gun, wouldn't you? I think you'd have to, George. I think you'd have to. Um, let, let's, let's be honest. If you're the guy who's getting rid of the guns in the next door, you know he's got plenty. You know some of them have got arsenals within arsenals. Indeed. So if you, if you haven't got a gun at the moment, you're probably in a great deal of jeopardy. But I mean, there can be. There just cannot be a justification for no. assault rifles, uh, automatic weapons, expanded uh, uh, um, ammunition magazines in the hands of a 21-year-old right-wing nutter. Absolutely. You've actually got people over there, George, who are fighting for the, uh, the rights of people who may not have full mental capacity to actually own a gun. Yeah. I mean, people actually... Well, it's easier to get a gun than to get a, a, a car, you know. I mean, you've That's actually right. got to go through far more rigmarole mm. to own a car in the U.S. than you do to own an AK-47. Yeah, it's, it's easier to go to the States, George, and buy a gun as a young person than go in and get a beer in a bar. Wow. It's insane. Absolutely. It's madness, George. I, I, unfortunately, I, I don't see any end to it. Um, I'm in, uh, I, I, Tony, I, I I'm, coming, uh, I'm coming to Liverpool uh, shortly, uh, to the Linear Hotel. Uh, oh, I, uh, I hope to see you there and all my friends in the Liverpool area. Tony, thanks yeah. very much for the call. While I'm on that, I'm in Dudley Town Hall on Friday. That's this Friday coming at 7 p.m., in the black country, in the West Midlands, Dudley Town Hall. Admission is absolutely free. And there will be me, Ask Adam Gary, who's coming up shortly uh, on the show. Brian Travers, the legendary founder member of UB40. And maybe a surprise guest from the world of football. Um, you know, I'm interested in uh, being the member of parliament in West Bromwich East. Somebody said to me on Twitter today, you're a foreigner. I'm not as much a foreigner as Slavin Bilic. Well done to West Brom for their great victory over Nottingham Forest on Saturday. You see, as soon as I've entered the scene, the football fortunes have picked up. Just one more before I take a break. Uh, respect is vital. It says, so in the Netherlands, prostitutes can stand in windows naked to be chosen by men, but Muslim women can't wear an akab. Fair play to the Dutch police telling the government they won't be prioritizing this new ban even remotely. And Hassan Diwan too says, I was born in Rotterdam, my brother lives in The Hague, and the Netherlands today is no country either of us recognize anymore. Let's take a break. I did mention earlier briefly the ongoing uh, Democratic Party process of winnowing down the gigantic number of presidential hopefuls that they had and doing so by a less than transparent and a less than equitable, just uh, methods. Uh, first of all, they placed uh, enormous barriers on people's ability to get in on the debates. And I think it was 62,000 individual donors you needed to have to get on the debate stage, the first level of the debate stage. Except Senator Mike Gravel got that, and so they promptly changed the rules because they didn't want him on the stage. 
because that would have been like putting me on the stage, on prime time, on national television, because me and him would be saying more or less the same thing. So they changed the rules just to get rid of him. But they're simply unable to get rid of one and possibly two of the progressive Democrats who are beginning, inch by inch in one case, to force themselves center stage in this Democratic Party season, which begins with these debates and then will move to actual elections, primary elections uh, across the US. And we'll be following uh, all of that. And the two uh, to whom I refer are, of course, the rank outsider at the beginning, Tulsi Gabbard, whose anti-war message has been unrelenting and very, very difficult for the establishment Democrats, the corporate war industry Democrats, to handle. And in particular, she gave Senator Kamala Harris, who's uh, the kind of Hillary Clinton come back to political life candidate, and Joe Biden. And she gave Kamala Harris a very, very hard time in the last uh, debates. But the man who is, if you'll forgive the Scottishism, above them all, has to be Senator Bernie Sanders. And I'm going to say this until I'm, if you'll forgive the pun, blue in the face. If Sanders is the candidate, Trump can be defeated. If Sanders is not the candidate, Trump will be victorious again. I really do hope that Democrats can absorb that simple message, which is clear from every poll and clear from all anecdotal and activist uh, opinion. Sanders was the man last time. Sanders is the man this time. That's my view. Let's hear from Thomas in Kent, who may have a different view. Thomas, welcome. Hello, George. Hi. I've been watching the Democratic debates, and um, I don't know whether you agree with me or not, but um, I think this guy who kind of hosts them, Jake Tepper, yeah. um, he, he seems to be leading the debates and sort of like skewing yeah. the questions yeah. the way he wants more than, you know, being neutral. Yeah, I mean, the, it's, it's rigged in all sorts of ways. I mean, last time you'll recall Donna Brazil gave the questions to Hillary Clinton before the debate. So it, yeah. is, it is rigged. But nonetheless, Thomas, in shafts of light, like the one I'm referring to of Tulsi versus Kamala, Harris, uh, unlike a previous one, Kamala Harris against Joe Biden, mm. those shafts of light don't half illuminate the landscape, do they? Yeah, yeah. There was one, I don't know how much of the debate you watched, but in the very I didn't see first, this one very much. I only saw the highlights. Yeah, the very first, there were two debates this week, and it was the one which Bernie was in. Yeah, I saw that. And the, yeah. very, the very first question... Um, they start talking about um, 
the privatised healthcare system yeah. in America, and you know, and Bernie's saying how much the corporations make, and he gives the analogies with like our country and with Canada, and with you know, saying that America could do the same thing, and immediately, Jake Tepper comes at him and says, "Do you know? Do you know that if we had, you know, a healthcare system like?" you know, Canada or the NHS, you know, 150 million Americans would have their taxes raised immediately, he goes. Well, of course, of course you can have taxes raised if you want a national health care system, but... You'll no, longer tax, be, you'll no longer be paying for the private exact, health care exactly, system. Exactly, exactly. If you're paying more taxes, but you're paying less than you would in private health care, that's a win, isn't it? Exactly. But he doesn't say that. No. And you can only think that, well, you know, I'm just thinking all these people like Jake Tepper and all these news readers in America who are on massive money. I mean, I mean, like an Andrew Marr in this country gets something like 400000 a year. But I know people like Jake Tepper, they're getting like $10 million. And they're oh. only getting it because all these, these companies are sponsored by Big Pharma and the military industrial complex. No you know, wonder, no wonder he doesn't want to pay extra taxes on earnings of uh, that size. The richer exactly. people are, the more greedy they become. That has been my experience throughout my whole life, and uh, I don't think it's going to uh, change. Now they started out calling Bernie Sanders a socialist, which yeah. is, to be fair, what he described himself as. But now I see they're calling him a communist. Uh, the daughter of Dick Cheney uh, openly called uh, Bernie Sanders a commie uh, on social media this week. Is, it, is, it, is the heat being turned up on Sanders because he's doggedly uh, in the leading pack of candidates? Well, I think that he was... It's not the, so much the Republicans he has to look out for. I think he has to look out more for people within his own party. I mean, it seems to that me that they, familiar. They, they stitched him up four years ago, didn't they? Yeah, of course they did. Well, look, thanks for your call. A great pleasure to hear from you. Uh, let's go to Darren in Leeds. Darren, welcome. Hi, George. Um, Hi. I just want to let you know about what's happening to Tulsi now. Um, in the last debates, she exposed Kamala for her record when Kamala was the Attorney General in California, and um, she wasn't as progressive as what she's been claiming to be. Oh, far from campaign. it. Far so, from it. She, and, she, she, um, she imprisoned a, a small nation of black people in California. Yeah. Sure. And, and worked them, worked them for the prison industrial complex at great profit. And um, now CNN and New York Times are coming out all over and saying that um, Tulsi is being supported by, once again, Vladimir Putin. She's a Putin bot. It's ridiculous. You know, she's she's Democrat. A, she's a U.S. Army soldier. She's she's disappearing in September or October to go and do another military stint. She's a US Army officer who fought in the Iraq war. Now we're being told she's a Russian agent, an Assadist. That just shows you that they're getting worried about her, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, they keep saying that, oh, she's a fringe candidate. 
when if you look at the results after the debate, she's the most searched candidate across the country. Yeah. In, um, but if you mind me also, could I suggest a guest to come on? Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, from America, Cornell West, if you could try to get him on Professor the show. Professor Cornel West, like please note, Tamar, let's try and get Cornel West on the uh, show. And, uh, and Chris Hedges, too, uh, while we're at it. And I just want to say, um, I Thanks. followed you from talk radio, and I think moving over to here is the best thing you've done. So keep up the great work. Thanks a lot. Appreciate that very much indeed. Uh, here are some tweets. Resistance Red says, The fact that the majority of these disgusting murders are committed using legally obtainable assault rifles tells you all you need to know vis-a-vis -vis sport, home security, and the other rot used to justify the selling of military arms to the public. And uh, government backbencher, I wonder who that might be, says political funding, the answer is to address who can and cannot influence the way which we write our laws. People or organizations being positively or adversely affected should be recusing themselves from the consultations and laws should exist to ensure that that happens. Politics should be pure. I just saw a pig flying past my window. And Shenebraskan uh, says, regarding gun culture in the USA, the vast majority do not own guns. People who do own multiple weapons, hence the numbers, which is why some controls on guns have wide approval. And Seeing 4D says, the thing is, America has a Second Amendment, so having guns and access to guns is impossible to reverse. And on Facebook, Ibrahim Hassan says, it's very sad to see innocent people getting shot every day in America, but they're not doing anything about it. But they, the US government, can go to any extreme to stop Muslims, stop Iran, while in their own houses there are more dangerous weapons than Iran and Muslims. Let's go all the way to Canada and hear from Doreen. Welcome. George, a long time. I used to call you when you were on Press TV. Oh, and, how wonderful um, to hear from you. Yes. Which part of Canada are you in? I'm in Vancouver. Uh, I have very fond memories of that. Yeah, well, actually, I'm in a place called White Rock, which is one mile from the U.S. border. But um, about the burkas that you have, Yeah. I, 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 it's the, um, what I don't agree with it's the cloth over their face. Um, George, what happened to the good old saying, face value? In Canada, you have to take your sunglasses off when you cross the border. The Americans re require you taking your sunglasses off. And if you were well, to go take in... Your, for, well, just to cross the border, presumably. Yeah. You're allowed to yeah. wear sunglasses in America. Uh, yes, but, but they want to see your face. Yeah, but that, that, that's an axiom. That's true everywhere. If, you, if you're uh, checking in at an airport, going through security, uh, they have every right to ask you to uncover your face. No, no one's disputing that, Doreen. Yeah, what about, like, say, uh, I wanted to take my grandson into a, a kindergarten, a preschool or whatever, and the lady shows up with a cloth and I can't see her face? 
I wouldn't hand my child over to somebody. Well, you, I could, you could always go to another uh, kindergarten. These are extreme examples yeah, you're giving me uh, because, of course, uh, hardly any Muslim women wear a piece of cloth over their face. But let me just put it, let me just put it another way to you. Let's say my wife, who's on her way back to the country, tells me tonight when she gets in that she's decided to wear a niqab. How's that your business, Doreen? Well, it is my business if she was coming into the country with it on. And, and what happens if she gets in a car and she's speeding along the freeway and the police pull her over and she refuses to take that cloth off but, her face? How, but, can they de how can they detect her ID? Well, because yeah. they don't. The security services have the right to insist upon the face being exposed for security purposes. These are what we call straw men arguments you're putting up here. No one is saying that a speeding woman can refuse a police officer's request to check her ID uh, by, by removing briefly her face covering. Uh, these are extreme examples you're giving me, which I infer, Doreen, are merely a cipher for your fundamental wish that women do not wear this garb at all. That's really no, what no, you're, that's no, really no, where George. you're coming from. No, you're right. Yeah, no, George, they can wear, and this, this happens in Quebec in Canada. It's not just me. Uh, um, I, 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 I'm right. You're right about your mother, George, because my mother never went out without her scarf on her head. Mm. But, she um, called that head I'm square. Sorry, I'm, I'm just, I'm just don't agree with covering their face. Well, I'll, you know, that's how, it. and I could see, yeah. see their eyes. If I went in a bank, or my husband went in a bank with a balaclava on, and they could only see his eyes, that would. I'd run. I'd run if he came in, yeah, dressed like that. I know. But I've got, I've got, I've got, I've got to break this news to you, Doreen. Virtually no women with niqabs have ever robbed a bank or no, ever murdered no. anybody. I mean, no. well, it's, it's, people, it's people whose faces you can see and behind whose eyes are dark thoughts that you cannot begin to fathom that we need to look out for. A great pleasure hearing from you again. Pleasure to disagree with you. Ask Adam, hashtag Ask Adam, just before I turn to you uh, on that. G Sunray says, strange to say, I remember Joe Cox on Friday, that this shooting from a white supremacist, maybe our media needs to do some soul searching, how to report on racism, immigration and foreign policy. And Martin K. O'Connor says, Adam's like Google, you can ask him <laughs> anything. And Ian Brown says, ban the niqab. When in Rome, if you don't like it, stay out of the UK. Visitors have to cover up when visiting Muslim countries, and so they should as respect for country. You're wrong on this one, GG. And uh, Nomad in a Bag says, bloody love Sundays with the most intelligent man in England. Adam Gary is one of my favorite people to listen to speak such a strong-willed character. And so say all of us, Adam. Uh, very, Not sure very about strong-willed, straightforward. Straightforward, straight-talking. And you and I will be performing uh, in uh, Dudley on Indeed. Friday 
in the Dudley Town Hall and at the Liner Hotel in Liverpool. Indeed, as the roadshow moves around the country, I feel sure that there's no roadshow for moats without thee and me. <laughs> uh, but let me uh, just ask you something that I see you've been very busy on, and I touched on it earlier, but the hour necessitated that I move on. And that's the highly dangerous situation that has arisen in Kashmir, in Indian-occupied Kashmir. Tell us something about that. Well, the proximate cause is Afghanistan because it's become more and more clear over the last months and in particular the last weeks that Donald Trump is actually quite serious about extricating the U.S. from the total disastrous quagmire in Afghanistan. This hasn't bode well for India because India is frankly one of the only countries in the world that's still banking on this comically violent blood regime in Kabul staying in place because they have a good relationship with them. It won't last five minutes after the U.S. would. Indeed, and of course there's a precedent for uh, whenever the occupying uh, titanic superpower leaves the regime that they favor in Kabul has tended to fall. So India has made a conscious decision to pivot its soft power away from Pakistan's northwestern border and its formal military power to its northwestern frontier in Kashmir. The other reason for this is that India had a kind of collective shock when Donald Trump said in front of Imran Khan when he was in uh, Washington, Imran being the Pakistani Prime Minister, Trump said that when he and Indian Prime Minister Modi met at the G20 summit in Japan, that Modi asked Trump to mediate in the Kashmir catastrophe, in the dispute, the disaster, which has of course been burning since 1940. India's government flagrantly denied it, and its media, which its nationalistic media, which tended to be sort of pro-Trump, did a total 180. Trump's a liar, Trump's this. They sounded almost as unhinged as Rachel Maddow and all the other people that you should oh, turn surely off. Surely not that unhinged. <laughs> no, no, no. A bit, a bit scaled back, but you know, Indian, Indian media is something else, as they say at a Grateful Dead concert. Uh, but getting back to the serious issue, thousands of troops have been massed to the line of contact. Pakistan has accused India of dropping cluster bombs on civilian targets near the line of contact and there have also been reports uh, from both some Indian and some Pakistani outlets saying that the Indian authorities are withdrawing Hindus from Jammu and Kashmir which is very ominous for anyone who knows the history of that, uh, of that place. Well, there's now uh, one Indian soldier for every 10 people living in Kashmir. Yes. Uh, it is the most heavily militarized area on the earth, without exception. There are now 750,000 Indian soldiers in a tiny area uh, of uh, occupied Kashmir. What could possibly go wrong? We're going to have to mm. keep that uh, uh, under uh, constant review, yes. I think, because it's an issue, of course, that matters to a lot of people here in Britain as well Quite as so. a much larger uh, amount around the world and in particular in Kashmir itself. Uh, Aisha is on the line. Aisha, sorry. Aisha is on the line from New York. Go ahead, Aisha. Hello. Um, I, I just wanted to talk about the mass shooting we had in America again. Yeah, go ahead. I hear an echo. No, go ahead. You're loud and clear. Okay. Um, well, the problem 
that everyone is talking about is the easy one. Let's disarm people or let's get guns off the street. But no one's talking about the more difficult problem, which is the problem of capitalism that has definitely affected the working class. For example, life expectancy is low. Most people don't have health care. The average American has, has, does not, can't afford a uh, $400 emergency. And so what I noticed when I read the Shooter's Manifesto is that he has a lot of frustrations about capitalism that he has misdirected to the immigrants. And instead of, um, so I can't help but wonder if we could curb the rise of the alt-right in America by having a Democratic Party that stands up to the voters and actually critiques the real villain, which is capitalism and the corporations. Uh, Shah, thanks uh, very much indeed for that call. Adam, your uh, uh, initial response to that? Well, I think the entire debate that I've seen just about everywhere except on this show has been so obfuscational so as to make it pathetic. Your introduction was, quite frankly, the only thing that made any sense, that had any connection to the real world, that I've seen over the last tragic 24 hours. One big elephant in the room, and in my view it's the biggest, is drugs. Because while not all hard drug takers are terrorists, but almost all terrorists are on drugs. Now, I can't comment on the two terrorist incidents in the United States, uh, one in Dayton and one in El Paso, but the overall trend, whether it's ISIS and Al-Qaeda, whether it's people of the so-called white supremacist, neo-Nazi type of viewpoint, whether it's religious fanatics in trees with flare guns, all of these people have one thing in common. Terrorism knows no ideology, no race, certainly no religion, no nationality. It knows one thing that does have a commonality, and that is hard narcotics. For example, um, the Hillary Clinton brigade lied saying that the Libyan regime, former Libyan regime, was giving sexual enhancement drugs to its soldiers. That was a lie. But what Muammar Gaddafi said, that the terrorists from groups like the Libyan Islamic Fighting Group, as you say, the key is in the name, they were on a drug that has become the Daesh ISIS Al-Qaeda drug of choice called Captagon. Uh, forces that have vanquished Daesh and other similar terrorists have also found cocaine and similar amphetamines, but this captagon is a drug of choice amongst organized terror groups from the Philippines and Malaysia uh, into Syria and Iraq and Libya, and they've even captured it on ships bound to Italy and France. When you look at these terrorists in the United States that commit these so-called lone wolf mass shootings, most of them, and I've even written about it with links detailing the various drugs that historic mass shooters have been on. They're either on legal drugs, illegal drugs, or both, just before, during, or both, um, in terms of the proximate time to their shooting. Well, uh, the, the original assassins, the Hashashin, Indeed. Uh, were, of course, of course, drugged up to the eyeballs before they carried out their terrorist atrocities.
Indeed, this That's is where historical. the word hashish comes from. The, the, the key is in the name. And Hitler, especially towards the end of the war, drugged up his soldiers on strong amphetamines because what drugs do, they take away people's conscience. Violence is an unfortunate but naturally occurring phenomenon in the human condition. But what changes an ordinary person with the capacity for violence into a monster, a maniac, a terrorist who knows no conscience but only violence that will be acted upon and promulgated until a bullet meets his head. This is where drugs come in. There is not an Islam problem. Terrorism is explicitly forbidden in Islam. The exact same thing is true of Christianity and most of the world's great religions. What turns some from an ordinary person, even if they're despondent, even if they're on the wrong side of the economic divide, into a killer, and most of these killers go on suicide missions, it is the drugs. Most people, no matter how desperate their situation, don't want to strap on a rucksack and blow up a train, don't want to go into a shopping center and gun infants down in their mother's arms. The X factor in this horrible wave of terrorism, whether it's white supremacists, um, Daesh Islamists, fanatics and everything in between. It is the narcotics. And I even will go further and say, I think I know why people don't want to mention it. There's two reasons. The first reason is that the liberal elites who have been in charge of Western societies for far too long have constantly normalized the taking of narcotics so that some people think that it's no different than having an espresso or smoking a cigarette. And the other thing is, because of this normalization, it makes people nervous. So the, the average bloke watching the television could say, "What? Well, I'm going to condemn white supremacism because I'm not a white supremacist. I'm going to condemn Daesh and the Islamists because I'm not Daesh or the Islamists. I'm going to condemn gun laws because I don't have 10 AK-47s in the boot of my car. But because it's almost become perversely embarrassing for people to condemn narcotics, people take a step back and will blame anything else. Now, I'm not saying narcotics is the only thing, but it is an X factor. It's a commonality among all breeds of terrorists that crosses every cultural, religious, and geographical and demographic line imaginable. It's a fascinating uh, thesis, uh, brilliantly expressed. Uh, I know that uh, Peter Hitchens uh, is strongly yes. of the same view. He's Indeed a right-wing... He English uh, commentator, a columnist, a very brave man and a very fine Indeed. writer. Uh, let's hear from Mir in Pakistan. Mir, welcome. Thank you, thank you, thank you very much, George. What my would you, what would you like to ask Adam? The, yes, go ahead. Turn down your radio. Turn down your radio, please, Mir. India and Pakistan. Mir, you have to turn down As your Indian radio. Oh, okay, so okay. Otherwise, so we're, he we're hearing everything twice. Go ahead to Adam. As India is dehumanizing and occupied Kashmir and creating unrest in the world, in the South Asia, and is using cluster bombs and still deploying thousands of military troops, isn't it a good time for the world leaders to pay attention on Kashmir and solve this issue immediately and stop the massacre of the innocent lives in Kashmir? It has been, thanks for that, Mir, it has been going on for precisely the length of time that the Palestine question has been extant. Indeed. And there's a common X factor in that, and that is the withdrawing British Empire. 
Quite so. I, I think to get to the specific point of Mia's question, Imran Khan today, I think, played an absolute blinder. Of course, it, there's much more at stake than on the cricket oval. But what he did today is he threw down the gauntlet and he said, Donald Trump, there is a war on the horizon. We in Pakistan don't want war. We don't want to see all men die. We don't want to shed Indian life. We especially don't want Kashmiris to be caught in this infernal crisis. Fire. And Donald Trump, being a man, people can say what they want about him and American policy. You've said things, I've said things, and they're all true. But one X factor to go back to that theme about Trump is that he doesn't like to let people down. He wants to be center stage. If he were to step in and pull India back, a country with which the U.S. has an increasingly good relationship and wants to sell many expensive weapons, if Trump were able to step step into that mire and get both sides to disengage and get India to pull back its hundreds of thousands of troops, that could really be something decisive. So by throwing down the gauntlet to Trump rather than sit on his hands in the way previous Pakistani prime ministers have done, I think that not only is the world now more aware of this disaster that has befallen the Kashmiri people, but now the most powerful man in the world has been invited to make good on his promise and prevent another big war between India and Pakistan, which could be a nuclear war. Thanks, Mia. Let's take a quick break. Breaking news, expert analysis, and exclusive stories, all in one place. Radio Sputnik, telling the untold. the most important hour of the day it's the critical hour with dr wilmer leon on this show we don't just deliver the latest headlines we divide the real from the fake tune in to hear from some of the most brilliant political minds of today get in-depth news and analysis that goes beyond the surface and dig straight into the details set your clock to the critical hour for a news perspective unlike any of those other guys Tune in to The Critical Hour with Dr. Wilmer Leon, weekdays, 6 to 7 p.m. Eastern, and catch us on Facebook Live. You're listening to Radio Sputnik. Radio Sputnik. We speak your language. Find us at SputnikNews.com. The mother of all talk shows. Join our faculty of legends, contributors, and callers. Everyone is welcome. Want to talk? Get in touch with us at radio at sputniknews.com. Uh, Rogue Cow says, my last boyfriend told me what to wear. I haven't dated since. <laughs> and Ellie Baker says, I'd ban white men in suits. Uh, and Mr. Massive Favor says, can we ban fat men cycling in Lycra? And Mike Burns says, remove the veil of news media lies. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Arandora Press says, I'm not a fan of religion, but banning clothing is interfering with other people's choice. The issue is free choice based on intellectual freedom of thought. Now, I think we've got a call uh, on the line. Rob, where's Rob from, Tama? From Merseyside. Rob, welcome. George, Adam, good. Good evening. Good, Thank good you evening. For Welcome. Um, 
I was explaining to Jamie, a producer, that um, with respect to the gun agenda in the United States, I'm going to put my hand in and say, basically, I think there's a complete agenda-driven focus within America for nefarious reasons to either withdraw or, or disarm the public or normalize the actions of the police and the police response in the eyes of the public and make it seem acceptable. And I can't help but think there's uh, a nefarious agenda because it isn't the first mass shooting. Um, but there's certainly correlations can be drawn between what's gone on this um, well, in the last 24 hours. Um, it can be drawn with previous mass shootings, such as the media's um, attempts to draw your attention to sort of key talking points like automatic weapons and um, the, the, the usual camera photographs that, that have been allegedly taken, and, and obviously no one can vouch for that. Well, I, but, I don't think um, there's any allegedly uh, about it. Stay on the line, will you, because I've got someone, uh, Patrick, in Louisiana, on the line on the same question, and we'll deal with both calls at the same time. Patrick, go ahead. Well, uh, George, first of all, it's an honor and a pleasure to uh, speak to you again and to speak to Adam as well, who's a Thank true you. legend, and I follow him closely on Twitter. Thank you. Um, Actually, if you don't mind me saying, my question was in reference. Patrick, are you still there? We've kind of lost Patrick. We'll call him back. So, uh, Adam, why don't you respond uh, to the Merseyside caller first? Well, someone quoted Benjamin Franklin earlier who said those who would trade uh, liberty for security deserve neither. Uh, some have rephrased that to say they'll receive neither. I think both of those things are true. There's always a grave danger in any country, and in America especially over the last few decades, going back almost to the Waco atrocity that we touched on fairly recently, where whenever there's a disaster, irrespective of who's responsible for it, certain political forces use it to chip away at the Constitution. Not necessarily the Second Amendment, but in some cases, but the First Amendment, the Fourth Amendment. And I don't think a disaster, uh, whether it's a foreign or domestic terrorist, I don't think that a disaster is prevented by taking away the right to free speech of ordinary people, by taking away the writ of habeas corpus, by having grown men molest little girls in airports under the guise of TSA security, one of the many U.S. federal um, bodies that should be abolished. If the United States is anything, it's a country whose constitution is superior to almost all others, but one that's been cursed by stewards of that constitution that are some of the worst politicians in all of the West. I would hope that that would be corrected. America had the chance in 2008 and 2012 to elect the constitutionalist Ron Paul. We all know how that ended up, but I don't think sacrificing the basic liberties of the U.S. Constitution for security is, is ethical, and history shows that it's not effective. Liberty keeps getting less and less, and the shootings keep getting worse. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk to Raj in Glasgow. Raj, go ahead. Hi, George. Can you hear me, mate? Yes, can hear you fine. Go ahead. Hi, George. Good evening to you and Adam. Thank George, you. I live in Glasgow, basically. I have to ask you a question with relations to Brexit. Yeah. Now, one of the things which I don't understand is, we had a democratic referendum. Do I live in Glasgow? I know 
Scotland voted more in favour of Remain yeah. compared to you know England and Wales, which voted more in favour of Brexit. Yeah. One thing which I don't understand is any time whenever things go wrong in the Scottish government, and when they get found out. The SNP used the same tested logic that Westminster is to blame. <laughs> and we believe in independence because then we can take our own decision. Well, See, the, when the, the Brexit the, thing happened... They only exist for that purpose. Yeah, and the other thing, George, sorry for interrupting, the other thing which I don't understand is, see, if the SNP believe that the Westminster is all to blame and we need independence, I assume they had a referendum then, which was won by uh, remaining in the UK. But the other thing which I don't understand, assuming they get independence from UK, thinking that they'll be free from the shackles of Westminster as it is being propagated over here, how will they think, how are they thinking that if they're a member of the European Union, they will be able to take decisions well, from they, their own? they want to leave one union with uh -huh. the country next door to join uh -huh. a bigger union <laughs> much farther away and much less democratic than the union they're already in. Am I right, are the people not being fooled? You're absolutely right. But George, is it not so that the other people are being fooled? It's like, how do I say, you're literally selling them something else. If you're selling them independence, fine, sell them independence, they're cool, we'll be a naturally independent country. But then, do you not contravene your same independence cause of by course. joining the European Union? Of course, of course. <laughs> Excellent, Raj. Very, very good call. Uh, now, Adam, Ed Fisher uh, wants to ask Adam for a very brief, and it'll have to be given the hour, thumbnail sketch of your views on President Duterte and the current situation in the Philippines and its regional importance. For a thumbnail sketch, Ed adds, read Idiot's Guide. <laughs> Give us an Idiot's Guide to the Philippines. In 1986, the CIA turned its back on one of their most uh, loyal patrons, or should I say someone who gave them patronage, and replaced his bad government with an exponentially worse government. Since a horrible constitution by American eggheads was foisted upon the Philippines in 1987, the country has gone from weakness to weakness, socially and economically. Economically, and many Filipinos gave up hope. There's a slogan that a good Filipino friend and campaigner of mine, Orion Perez, who was on your yeah, uh, Sputnik television show, yeah. he says, most countries export goods, the Philippines exports people. And how sad a situation that is. Duterte came to power as the last best chance for genuine reform, reform to the economy, reform to the corrupt bureaucracy, reform to the police, better pay for teachers, better pay for doctors, more hospitals, cleaning up a heavily polluted environment, building more infrastructure, creating more jobs, taking drugs, crime and terrorism off the streets, and hopefully full-on constitutional reform, which he's talking about once again more and more. His approval ratings, according to one of the most recent polls were in the high 80s and another one put it in the low 90s. Mrs. Merkel, Mr. Macron, the former Mrs. May, well she's still Mrs. May, but the former Prime Minister Mrs. May would give anything to have those poll numbers, but the difference is that Duterte speaks to his people and the others speak at their people. That's my view on Duterte. Why do they hate him so? Why does the liberal media and political class really seem to have it in for Duterte. 
Well, why does a bully hate the victim in the schoolyard when he goes and decides to get a black belt in karate? Uh, it's the same principle that's involved. The Philippines, of all of the ASEAN countries, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, it was always the closest to the U.S. It was indeed once a U.S. colony. And many in the West saw it as an impoverished country that was never going to live up to its potential to be kicked around. Duterte said no. And one of his first speeches said, I am the president of a sovereign state. I have no master, nobody but nobody, only the Filipino people. And that which is translated into his policies has sent reverberations in Washington, in the European Union, which he doesn't have much time for. Maybe he and Farage can collaborate. Uh, maybe. But is that... Uh, is he going to run again? Sadly, the, the, the stupid constitution doesn't allow it, but uh, I support the correct movement, which Orion Perez, as we mentioned, is a part of, that wants to transition the Philippines to a parliamentary system, more like Singapore, where you had Lee Kuan Yew, or Malaysia, where we still have the great Mahathir Mohammed. And even so, he claims he doesn't want to be a prime minister in a new government, but his daughter may well be a future political leader. Uh, the Struggle UK asks, uh, it shows just how far to the right the US political system has shifted since the 1970s. When a 1930s New Dealer like Bernie Sanders is viewed as a dangerous Trotskyist, where do you stand on that? Well, they called the New Dealers in the 30s they called them similar names. Yeah, yeah. So I, don't, I think the more things change, perhaps the more they stay the same. <laughs> Let's take a quick break. Uh, George EFC93 asks, what's your view on the so-called war on drugs, decriminalization and regulation, or prosecute users? Well, I think that we've got a situation now where essentially the drugs are everywhere. Accountants do it, solicitors do it, barristers do it, potential prime ministers do it, and, we're, and some were even photographed in dubious situations around drugs. What war on drugs? There you, is no war on drugs. I mean, getting back to Peter Hitchens, who, of course, uh, as you said, my views correspond with a great deal, it's the war that we never fought. Of course, there were victims. The CIA had a pretty good time destroying much of America. America's inner cities by helping the uh, the uh, Contras get uh, crack cocaine into parts of the United States. So a lot of people have their hands dirty in this, uh, and the only people, frankly, with clean consciences are the people that actually fight the drugs. People like Duterte, for example, uh, who's, uh, frankly, the, one of the other reasons they hate him, not only because he shifted his economic and foreign policy to one of subservience to neutrality, but he rubs the liberals the wrong way because they see drugs as something almost virtuous, dare I say, and anyone who doesn't like drugs, it's sort of he gives them the heebie-jeebies as though they're going to go home tripping their heads off and Duterte is going to be under the bed like a bogeyman. Cease, desist, there's a <laughs> legend on the line. It's Norma in Bristol. Norma, welcome. Hello. No show um, is complete. Go ahead. I <laughs> I saw, um, I wanted to ask Adam actually, George. Yeah. I saw a program on television this week about Latifa, the missing princess, who was one of uh, two is this from, uh, Is this from Dubai? Yeah, the yeah. crown prince um, who's um, got a lot of wives and is a vicious man. And Alleg it was very allegedly. <laughs> he's got, it was he's got very expensive lawyers, Norma. Oh, well, anyway. 
<laughs> it was very disturbing, George, of how she tried to escape from her father in Dubai to get her freedom, and she was found eventually in Indian waters, hoping to get to Florida on the 4th of March last year, which I know because that was my 80th birthday. My goodness, 80 years <laughs> young. And then there's a lot of torture and beatings, and it's all legal in Sharia law in Dubai. And I wanted to ask Alex... Actually, Dubai is the farthest thing from Sharia law that you could possibly imagine. Dubai, well, they do, do have torture do, and beatings. Well, they do have that, but there's nothing in Sharia law about torture and beatings. Uh, the, Dubai is a sink of depravity, of drugs and prostitution and alcohol and everything that's not in Sharia law. Adam, over to you. Well, I, I, I can't come, come back to you, Norma. I'll come back to you. I, I can't possibly comment on any legal case, but the story, Norma, that you've outlined uh, is quite compelling. And I think that, if anything, it's an argument for a foreign policy that is less proactive and more neutral. If there are people in countries alleged to do this, that or the other, at least a country like Britain could keep its hands neutral. So that's speaking generally, but I make no comment because I couldn't possibly do on the specific issue. Norma. I I just wondered if Adam did know what happened to her. Is she alive or dead or what? Well, even you know? if I did, I couldn't possibly comment. Uh, the, uh, thing is, the thing is, Adam and uh, Norma, um, under uh, the late Sheikh Zayed, who was a yes. very wise uh, ruler, whom I knew very well, he was the ruler of the United Arab Emirates, of which uh, Dubai is one, um, the... Uh, foreign policy and I think economic development of the UAE was uh, really admirable. In fact, uh, their environmental work, for example, yes. was phenomenal, more than admirable. Um, since his demise, the new rulers of the UAE uh, have led uh, their country into war uh, in Yemen where they are an active participant in killing the poorest people in the world, the Yemeni people, uh, actively moved into the war camp with the United States vis-a-vis -vis Iran, have grown ever closer to Netanyahu's Israel. It's a big change for the UAE, isn't it? It very much is. I mean, Sheikh Zayed was, he, he was a towering figure yeah. and, frankly, one of the only memorable and history-worthy monarchical figures of the Arab world in the 20th century. Most of the towering figures were either revolutionaries or Arab nationalists or presidents, but Sheikh Zayed was a man apart. He was very unique and he did. The, the, the sand from once became the sand flowers grew. Um, I do have to say, though, the, U, the UAE has done something which has pulled the rug out a bit from the Saudi conflict in Yemen is that the UAE is withdrawing. They're well, winding... Well, they keep saying that, but they're well, still there. Yeah. I think, though, I, I think as time goes on, they're going to have no choice. I think the quagmire has gotten too much for them, not least because the part of the country that they effectively occupy with, with permission from a, a local contingent called the Southern Transitional Council is the only part of the country that's somewhat normal. This is around Aden in the former South Yemen, where the Saudis are having quite a difficult time fighting incredibly poorly armed Ansar Allah, a.k.a. Houthi fighters in the former North Yemen. Now, uh, Norma, um, the, the, one of uh, the uh, Mohammed's, uh, Sheikh Mohammed's wives has sought political asylum 
in Britain. Uh, oh, I presume yes. you think uh, the government should grant that? Well, yes. I mean, I was just so astounded about this programme that I saw. It, she'd made a video, the, um, the Tifa, um, because she thought she'd be killed or die. And we saw that and the, she was awful. She had no freedom whatsoever. She just wanted to get away. And um, they followed her and they got her, didn't they? Well, I don't know uh, about that. Uh, of mm. course, the extraordinarily uh, patriarchal society that exists in the Persian Gulf would make it very difficult for uh, a princess to run away from her father's uh, household. Uh, and I, I'm presuming that's what happened. I actually don't know the answer to your question. I was, okay. me I was merely cautioning you that uh, Sheikh Mohammed is a very litigious and exceedingly rich man with very ferocious lawyers. So I wouldn't like you to get into any difficulty. No. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't like him to pitch up in Bristol <laughs> with a writ in his hand. Thanks as always, Norma. Lovely call. Uh, Rennie Hermes says, hello from Denmark. Is the UK becoming a puppet for the USA? Becoming, Adam. <laughs> uh, well, much like the Bernie Saunders question, you know, the more history changed, the, the more it rem remains the same. There is one difference, though. Uh, the United States desperately wanted a European Union to come into existence and were desperately encouraging to Harold Macmillan and later even Harold Wilson uh, to join what was then known as the EEC. Barack Obama was very much part of that family tree. Donald Trump Trump has a different version of the special relationship, a term that I hate so much I've come to use it with a kind of postmodern irony. Uh, slap me twice. Um, but <laughs> but uh, the point is, yeah, yeah, the more things change, the more they the stay. More the, ever since same. Bretton Woods, I say that has more or less been the case. Uh, Ryan Forprez says, if the US State Department is against Duterte, he can't be all that bad. <laughs> well, talk about condensing it. That is certainly the condensed version. <laughs> Ackroyd Brown says, brilliant, Adam. Uh, will you marry me? I'm a highly educated female of means. I think I'll give you that one after the show. Shall she's, I? She's, she's not that educated if she's asking that question. There, there was actually on one of these one of these T-shirts they sell at these silly shops, and it was actually quite funny. It said, "Never criticize your ex-wife's judgment. You were one of her decisions." <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Sally Sweetly, 89, says, "Great show as always. Would be awesome if George Galloway could do a show on the alarming situation that is unveiling in Kashmir mm. in the past few days." It looks like something huge and ominous about to happen very soon. Well, I think we've touched on it. Indeed. Uh, I've no doubt that we continue. We will continue uh, yes. to do so. Uh, I'm, I kind of have to make the point, Sally, that um, twice in recent elections, uh, voters chose Kashmiri candidates rather than me. So maybe they should be speaking out uh, too. Mm. Um, a-A-L-T-A-I-E. I don't know how to pronounce it, I'm sorry. Altai. We all proud of your long and courageous fight for justice. Thank you very much. And Mark3532 says you look cool in a hat anyway. Thank you, Mark. Uh, on Facebook and YouTube, Martin O'Connor says Adam is just so insightful. Uh, a lot of people are very interested in your education and without giving away too much uh, because we've still got a tour to do and we'll 
will unveil. Be like the dance <laughs> of the seven veils. Brilliant. Uh, I'll be but, solemn uh, there. You are obviously a, an educated man in a way that I am not. Um, was your education British, principally? Mixed. Mixed. Mixed, but we'll have to reveal in that on our magical mystery mi tour. Magi yeah, so you were educated in more than one country. Yes, that's your, the hint. Your, your grasp of English is, of course, uh, stupendous, and I think that's uh, having a, a powerful effect on our, uh, our audience. Um, so you're not able to tell us what you studied, are you? Oh, I think they should buy tickets for the roadshow, okay. shouldn't they? Okay, very good answer. <laughs> Uh, Stephen Davis on drugs says it's the same as... No, the way you read it, Stephen Davis, <laughs> pardon me. No, Stephen Davis isn't on drugs. He <laughs> sent a message. On the topic of... Yes. Uh, it's the same as prohibition. Legalise and control them and the problem will be very much improved. Wishing them to go away doesn't work, Adam. An immature position from him, unfortunately. Well, Stephen, I'm with uh, Adam uh, on this. I think the world is already full of stupefying materials and to uh, legalize still more of them uh, would only could only lead to more stupefaction and as I'm struggling to, to reduce stupefaction in the nation you're hardly going to persuade me and I think Adam yes. uh, to do it now the the implicit argument that you make there is that because everyone is doing it we should legalize it but everyone speeds on the motorway. It's not a case for abolishing the speed limit. Quite so. Uh, uh, prostitution has always been with us. It's not an argument for the state becoming a pimp. Uh, there, are, there are all kinds of things that people will continue to do, though they are illegal. But I'll tell you what, Adam, at the airport this morning, I was pulled uh, by customs uh, for the first time in uh, six decades Blimey. of traveling in and out of the country. Well, five decades, really, because the wife thinks I'm 50. <laughs> we won't uh, tell her. The, 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 the point is, I have never been stopped in 50 years. And I think the guy who stopped me today, who was a Glasgow man, really wanted to talk about the Celtic result. Ah, could, it could have been that. Celtic 7, St. Johnson nil. just for those who didn't get the uh, result yet. Uh, there is no war on drugs. We've cut back on customs no. officers. There's fewer people at our ports and airports checking fewer bags, fewer travellers. There's drugs coming into this country and being made in this country. Yeah. Uh, all over uh, the land, and nobody is fighting any kind of war. How could we? We're 21,000 police officers short. Yes. We can't stop the stabbers in the streets. Let most alone of whom are on drugs. Let alone, yeah, most of whom are on drugs, and many of whom are fighting and killing over drugs. Last yes. word from you. We've got about uh, one minute and eight seconds. Well... A society that's intoxicated is not a healthy society. I can't imagine why anyone would want to put something into them which would destroy that one organ of all that separates mankind from the rest of the animal kingdom. It takes this God-given, Darwin-given, call it what you will, brain that we've all got and turns it into a Frankenstein monster. I don't know why anyone would do that and the less of it the better. 
it has very real consequences. I'm very much in favor of legalizing truly victimless crimes, but this is about as victimless a crime as bringing democracy to Iraq, and we all know what that crime led to. Very well said. That's his view. It's also uh, pretty largely mine. Uh, if you have a different point of view, well, that's what the Open University of the Airwaves is about. It's been marvellous for me. I hope it was for you. And if it was, come back next week at the same place and the same time and bring another viewer, bring another listener with you. It's the mother of all talk shows. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.